Good morning. It's good to see everybody. As you're coming in, I know you'll be a little bit slower than usual because it's been a long week, but let's stand up. We're, it's not in the bulletin, but we're going to open this morning with a hymn in your hymn book, hymn number 55. We've been singing carols, but let's take some time and sing hymn number 55, To God Be the Glory. seated and welcome. We want to wish everyone a, a happy new year and we hope you had a wonderful Christmas and family time together. I know we have many that are with family and traveling and, and enjoying the, the new year. Uh, but for those of you who are here, let me just quickly say that we are having our fellowship meal right after this. So even if you can't stay, whether it's 20 people or 50 people or 100 people, we want to keep it planned and come downstairs. And even if you don't want to, to, to eat, you can still fellowship and hang out for a little while uh, so that we can fellowship and celebrate the new year together. I'll let you go through a lot of the announcements. If you'll turn back on the inside of the cover, you'll see uh, that we still have the ministries that are taking place here. 
Um, you'll see the announcements. If you have questions, please call the leaders. If it's a youth question, uh, Zach is available uh, or, or need answers with those. They can help fill you in on those. But uh, the main thing is we want to move forward. We appreciate all the help this year. We are uh, looking forward to January and our annual meeting. We'll get together as elders coming up on the 9th, and we'll schedule those. Someone asked me when it would be. We schedule those uh, when we meet in January. So sometime toward the end of January, we'll have our annual meeting, and we'll Hopefully not only present things to you for the new year, but go over where we've been and uh, how things have been accomplished. And we appreciate everyone for your help this past year in making so many ministries a success. But we're already ready to go forward. We're ready to keep moving, and we appreciate everything that everybody has been doing to help. Uh, we do want to uh, welcome you if you're visiting. I know it's good to see uh, Pastor Nick and his family with us this morning. He's back. and. Uh, it's good to always have them visit with us. If you are visiting for the first time or haven't filled out a visitor card, uh, we've had many, many, many in the last several months, and so we appreciate you filling out the cards. It'll give us time to follow up and get up with you, and so we appreciate that, that you've chosen to be here. And if we can minister to your family, please fill out that card and let us know how to contact you. Or if you have a prayer request, just flip it over, and on the back side of that is a prayer request. I use those, and if you just fill it in and turn it in, it'll be a part of my prayer ministry uh, for David and I as we pray for the families. But if you want it in the bulletin, please call specifically and let us know that you want that placed in the bulletin. Other than that, uh, I want to take a moment, open us in prayer as we continue in worship this morning and glorify God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your blessings this morning. Father, for the ability to come and to worship and to celebrate. Uh, Lord, we do pray specifically this morning just for the families that are traveling, those that are celebrating uh, with their loved ones, that, Lord, you would keep them all safe. Uh, Lord, for those who are sick uh, and are experiencing uh, illness, uh, be with them as well. But, Lord, while we gather here, Lord, we just pray that you'll bless this time, open our hearts and minds to hear your word and to sing praises to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand with me as I call us to worship, it's there in your bulletin, uh, and then we'll confess our sins together before we sing. But let me call us from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. In order to exalt him, we must bow down before him and allow us to know that we need him, and there's no other way about it. And so we confess our sins together and prepare our hearts to exalt him. And so if you would, pray with me our congregational confession of sin. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. And what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in, in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. And again, assurance of grace and pardon throughout the scriptures. This one from Romans chapter 4. Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This morning as we celebrate the transfiguration, we realize just how important Jesus' death and resurrection really are. But let's continue as we worship. You'll find it in your hymnal on page 30. 
And we'll sing that hymn together, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past. be seated. As we come to that part of our worship service where we confess our faith, we continue to use the Westminster Larger Catechism. We have three questions this morning. The first is a continuation of questions we had last week. If you might remember last week, we had two questions. One asks, what is required of those who hear or preach the word of God? And the other one was, Excuse me. The first question last week was by whom is the word of God preached? And the second one, how is the word of God to be preached by those who are called thereunto? This morning we continue that theme with question number 160, and then we proceed with two questions concerning the sacraments. The questions concerning the sacraments will be continued for several Sundays because there are quite a few of them. 
So question 160, allow me to read the question and together we'll respond with the answer. Question 160, what is required of those who hear the word preached? Those who hear the word preached must pay careful attention to it, prepare themselves and pray for understanding. They should review carefully what they hear through the Bible and accept the truth in it faithfully, lovingly, humbly, and with a ready mind, treating it as it is, the word of God. They should meditate on it, talk about it, hide it in their hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. How do the sacraments become effective means of salvation? The sacraments become effective means of salvation, not by any power in them or by any inherent potency coming from the devoutness or the intention of whoever administers them, but rather by the working of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of Christ who established them. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy regulation established by Christ and his church, and a sign, a seal, an outward display to those within the covenant of grace of the benefits they have from Christ's mediation. It serves to strengthen and increase their faith and all other graces in them. It obliges them to obey God and to witness to and cherish their love and fellowship with each other, and it distinguishes them from those outside the covenant. May each of us examine ourselves in light of those questions. As we go to prayer this morning, I will draw your attention to the Old Testament book of Joshua. In the third chapter of that book, the Israelites had been camping next to the Jordan River. And then in chapter 3, they were instructed that they were to break camp. They were to follow the Ark of the Covenant. And as they followed the Ark, they had other instructions they were given. But the point was, as they crossed into the Promised Land, they were to follow the Ark. And in verse 4 of that chapter, we read, then by following the ark, you will know which way to go, for you have not passed this way before. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, how solemn is the reflection that as a new year begins, a new and untrodden path commences for each of your people. New events in each believer's life will transpire. New experiences will unfold. New phases of character will develop. New responsibilities will evolve. New friendships will be formed. New temptations will assail. New trials will be experienced. New sorrows will be felt and new mercies from our Lord will be bestowed. How truly may it be said of we, thy sons and daughters, 
pilgrims traveling through this wilderness to our eternal home as we stand upon the threshold of a new year, this untried period of our existence, pondering the unknown and an uncertain future. Yes, Lord, it may be said of us as with the Israelites of old, we have not passed this way before. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray. May we begin this new year with a renewed surrender of ourselves to you. May we begin the year with a broken heart for our sin. Beneath the cross of Christ, looking through that cross to the heart of a loving and forgiving Heavenly Father. May we not be anxious about the future, the future you, Lord, have provided. For as we read in thy word, all our times are in your hand, and casting all our care upon him, for he cares for you. And cast your burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain you. Lord, with these consolations about the future so rich and with a hope so glorious, let us close the year through which we have just traveled with a feeling of thanksgiving and with a song of praise. We thank you, Lord, for the way you have led us, especially through the times we have stumbled. We have found Jesus Christ enough for all the past, loving, faithful, gracious, enough for the present. And we are certain all that he has been, he will continue to be. For Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Heavenly Father, in the year ahead, may your love fill our hearts, your attributes engage our thoughts, and your praise ever be on our lips. Lord, hear our prayer. And Heavenly Father, as we start this new year, we pray for those in authority over us in both church and state. We pray for your church and our session and our diaconate as they begin their work in 2024. And may our state, local, and federal governments serve in thy righteousness. Lord, meet the needs of all here assembled. Hear the prayers of thy people and grant to all the blessing and favor of you. May thy spirit rest upon Pastor Jerry. May he feel your presence this day as he proclaims your word. And bless we pray our tithes, offerings, and ourselves to your service. And now, to the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, and who will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us, to him and to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be glory forever and ever. As we pray now the prayer our Savior taught us to pray. 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Ushers, please come forward.
Amen. You may be seated, and I hope you brought your Bibles with you. <clears throat> Again, I say thanks to everyone who is helping while others are out, and for those uh, Lois playing in the choir and those in the back that you never see back in the back doing the video and sound and uh, pray about how you may plug in. We can always use the help uh, to learn these ministries. We've been working through Mark and learning all about the importance and the speed of what Mark wants us to know about Jesus Christ. And this morning we come to the point of a transfiguration which could have all kinds of questions and implications for our life and has caused a multiplicity of books and scholars to debate, but I think if you just keep it in its context, many of the questions that are there become answered in the following verses within its own context. And it's a challenge to us because as we get a glimpse of God's glory through what Mark is writing, he takes us back to the point in which he too was given the glimpse of God's glory, to see Jesus changed, to see the true revelation of who he was, to have a true uh, authenticity of what God wanted to know for us to know about his son. And yet, that transformation wasn't just for him to be seen. It was for us to experience. The change, the glimpse of glory, hopefully changes you. Helps you to see the importance of that. For Mark begins to write us all about how Jesus is going to reveal his nature, the divine side. We know what it's like on the human side. We've seen him, walked with him, seen him do all kinds of things on earth. But to get a picture of the divine side is almost too much. Some of the words that the writer gives us, I'll share with you. They're words that are not used in any other context other than to talk about the importance of what is taking place. This authenticity that Jesus truly is the eternal Son of God. They've missed him up to this point. We're halfway through the Mark, through the book of Mark, and we're just now getting the authenticity where Jesus is revealing to us what he wanted others to see all along. But we all know, as the story ends, everything happens in God's time. And it only becomes real when he opens the eyes of your heart and begins to transform you. Here's how Mark says it, beginning in chapter 9. He said, and Jesus was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God when it has come with power. And that's the transition verse. Many Bibles would not even have that in this part. They would have put it to the other part. But if you take it in its context, the biggest question became, well, what do we mean by when he comes in power? We haven't seen him come yet. We haven't seen his return yet. And that's not what it's talking about. You're falling into the same trap that many of the disciples did. What, what is the kingdom come in power? And Jesus gives us almost the answer to that question that they were debating. Listen to this. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and brought them up on the high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Peter responded and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know how to reply, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around 
and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. Now, if you want to link this, I'll give you a secret. You could circle that, draw the line back up to the kingdom that comes in power. They seized upon that statement discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first, and he restores all things. And yet, how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? I say to you, Elijah has indeed come. And they did to him whatever they wanted, just as it is written of him. And so the transfiguration, we get an understanding of what in the world is going on. When you get a glimpse of glory, all kinds of questions come to our mind, all kinds of situations. We've put everything together that we've read, and we want to know, well, wait a minute. If you're supposed to come, and he's supposed to come first, and then why is it not happening? And why haven't we seen? And if some were supposed to die, and some not die? And all of a sudden, the questions are almost all quieted in an event that changes them because it's so powerful. Even in the book of Second Peter, we are told when Peter writes, he gives us the testimony in the very first chapter when he says, we saw him in his majesty in the glory on top of the mountain. Peter even testifies again to us after, after the fact of being able to write to tell people that what he really saw at the time he didn't understand, and now he knows the majesty and the glory of God in Jesus Christ. I want you to get a glimpse of his glory. I hope this Christmas, this new year, more than anything else, it'll be the start, not of a new year uh, obligations that you want to put out, not that you're going to make new commitments to keep this year, not that you're ridding of the past and the things that happened last year, but I would hope that over this time, in the thinking of the birth of Jesus Christ, that it did exactly what the gospel was intended to do, is to point you directly down to the cross where it all takes place, where the power of the kingdom of God begins. It doesn't wait until he comes in the general resurrection, like many would say. It's not like what they're asking Jesus about, because they're figuring that if Elijah's to come, they're talking about the general resurrection, but they cannot grasp that Jesus keeps saying to them, I must suffer, I must die. They can't understand that the Messiah, what we talked about last week, the sonship of Jesus Christ, his Messiahship involves suffering, humiliation before any exaltation. Peter begins to reveal his own weakness in this story. Listen, let me help unfold it with some powerful words. It begins in verse 2 when he says, six days later, all of a sudden, you know, Mark is making us are taking us back into a context very quickly because he's using six days. Some of us would say eight days. But for Mark, he's putting us back onto the mountain with Moses for six days receiving revelation with the clouds. He's setting the context already that the Jesus that we're about to witness in his authenticity as the humble servant son of man in the flesh is what's been predicted, taught, prophesied from the very beginning. 
He's taking us about to the similarities, and that's why this shows up. And he says to him, he took them up there on this bright mountain, the same issues that took place with Moses, the same times in which God spoke and revealed to the people of the past. This was not a new setting. This was not a new situation. The people were used to this if they knew their law. And when Peter, James, and John went up there, the situation and the circumstances are recreated for God to reveal himself to his people. And all of a sudden, the words come. He's up there, and he's transfigured. Metamorphosis is the word. You know what it means to change. We talk about it all the time when we think of caterpillars and butterflies and the change that takes place. It's used in Scripture for natures and forms, for the clothing in this case. There's a change in appearance of the form of Jesus Christ. And it's so astounding and bright that you have to understand some of the textual words in order to get a true picture of what's happening. This wasn't that Jesus just came up and said, hey guys, let me show you a trick, watch this, and kind of changed a little bit and said, look, can you still see me? You still see what's happening? Can you see both sides of who I am? Can you see the human and the divine? That's not what it was. It was no different than the glimpse in which the lights were so bright the reality of the glory of God, unobtainable to understand on its own. It's a glimpse of glory so powerful and no different than what struck down the apostle Paul when he was Saul on the road to Damascus. No different than the cloud that would lead the people through the wilderness by day and fire by night. The same glory that shows up on this mountain relates us back into the context that there is a change that we're going to witness, and that change is predicated on the change that must take place within us. I think Mark's going to push us right into the story this morning before you even realize it, that the story is not going to be just about the change that Jesus shows us, but the mandatory change that must take place within you if you're going to understand the glimpse of glory. If you're trying to do it on your own, you're not going to do it. If you're trying to understand things through your own efforts, it's not going to happen. This doesn't come by own human efforts. We learn in verse 3 what he's telling us about. Listen to this light that comes to us when he tells us, he was transfigured and the garments became a radiant and exceedingly white. Every translation has a difference. This is the New American Standard. It's going back to some of the original terms. When you look at the word stilbanta, which is the word for gleaming or glowing, and they translate it to the word radiant, it's because it's the opposite of reflection. That's the importance of understanding the radiance of what's taking place right now. This isn't that we're on a mountain and something is reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ. That's not what's happening. This is the word that describes the true radiance, the actual radiant itself. It would be if we said it wasn't the, the, the sunshine reflecting over, but it's the sun rays itself. This word that is used describes opposite of what Moses did on the mountain on six days with the cloud in which he reflected the glory of God. So bright and so powerful that his face would shine and reflect that glory upon return. Now imagine this. If it was so bright that just the reflection was hard to look at, what do you think happened on the mountain? You might think to yourself, well, how did they stand that? How could they see this, and how could they take that in? Well, our English Bibles don't give us the exact wording that goes upon that because this opposite of just being reflected is this true humanity being lifted off of Jesus because he is both human and what? Divine. 
and to be able to see this human that is truly divine, that we were beholding the glory of God. Do you remember when John writes and he says, and we beheld the glory of God, the only God full of grace and truth? It was when the word became what? Flesh. And the glory was able to be depicted to us, but only in a human shade, only covered so that we would see the human side. And for a glimpse of glory, we get a moment of God's authenticity even more so than at his baptism. Do you remember when he was baptized? Do you remember the words that came from heaven? This is my beloved son in whom I'm what? Well, please. And now we get those words on the mountain, but along with it, the authenticity that it is God, the one from within the cloud, the light, and his glory. This Greek word that is only used, how do we know it relates back to this? Catch this, the only other time that Stobanta is used is in the Septuagint, which is the Greek rendering of the Old Testament. And it is the word that is used back in the story relating to the radiance of the stars of the sky in which nobody could understand that brightness except from a distance. It's going back and tying it together to this understanding. The only other time that it's used in this gleaming bright radiance is to depict that which is the actual light itself. And all of a sudden the story changes because now the big fear comes because Moses and Elijah show up and all of a sudden we're told, well, what does this mean? What, what is happening? What is the, the cloud we understand and the light we now get and the words we understand? We're back into the context of when God would lead his people and speak to them and reveal to him. He's treating his people no different. It's only now we have the full revelation standing there. Not only do we hear him from heaven, not only do we get the light that's blinding, but we also get the one who is in the flesh to give us the answers to what's happening. To interpret it for us. Moses, many would say, would represent the law. That's why he's standing there. You can go into that. Some would say Elijah the prophets. I think more importantly, he's the restorer. That's what he is known as. He was a prophetic ministry for a very short term. Some would say that's why he up there is Jesus fulfills those. And those are wonderful interpretations. But I think what Mark is really doing is just taking us back to the reality that if you remember, Moses was never given an opportunity to stand in the promised land. And now on the mountain, in the place in which God had promised them, into the place in which he said he would take them, for that he would lead his people there, and for a glimpse of eternity, he now stands on the mountain beside the one who was promised to answer all those blessings. And for Elijah, the one who was to be the restorer, the one that we learn about in the book of Malachi. You see, Mark keeps taking us back that this event of transfiguration is not something new. It's something that's been planned. It's something that's been prophesied. And the people who were there are the proof that the ones they projected, the ones that they taught about, the ones that they planned and prepared for is now here. The one we've all long awaited for is now here. He is now with us. Oh, it comes the truth. The word for appearance that is used here is not a mental appearance. It's in a physical approach of something that happens when someone approaches you and they appeared in your presence. That would be the term. It's the same term that is used when they talk about the angels approaching or when the risen Christ appeared. 
These weren't just mental pictures that the disciples had. This was an actual manifestation. It was an actual transfiguration. It was the taking off of the humanity, the flesh of Jesus Christ, and giving them a glimpse of the divine, the one who is the light of the world. All of a sudden, we realize Luke chapter 9 gives us a hint. If you go to Luke's account to the story, he reminds us in his story that Moses and Elijah were discussing something on the mountain. And if you read the text, you know what they were discussing? They were discussing Jesus' exodus. That's the word that is used. Because they're taking us back to the exodus that was prophesied, planned, and thought would come when the Messiah would come. That just as Moses would lead them through the exodus out of Egypt from the enslavement to the people who had abused them, criminalized them, put them in enslavement and ruined their lives and they needed to be set free so the Messiah would lead the exodus of the ones who were enslaved to Satan and to sin and to judgment. And they would need to be delivered from this condition and only one could do that. And the Bible tells us that Elijah and Moses were speaking about his exodus that he would lead. Oh, this transfiguration is bringing all of history to the reality to a point that you need to make a decision. Peter always flubs it up. You know that. All of a sudden, Peter begins to write to them, and listen to what it says in the scriptures. Peter responded. I don't know what your verse says. I like how the New American Standard puts it. Some say Peter answered. Folks, there was no question even asked. I want you to catch that. The reason the New American Standard uses the word responded is because there was no question there. It was because of the event. Jesus shows up. You have Moses and Elijah and all this going on. And Peter, as he normally would, open mouth, insert foot, decides to come up with some kind of an answer to the event and simply says, hey, why don't we just build three tabernacles for all of us? We can dwell together. And why would that make sense? Because in the Feast of Booths, when people would set up their tents to reminisce and to remember the events of the Exodus, and Jesus is going to lead us on an Exodus, maybe Peter's catching the glimpse of all the Old Testament of what was supposed to be, and he's realizing that, wait a minute, if you're going to be here for a while, let's set up the tents, let's reminisce that we're going to be set free. And then he realizes in his own quick moment of enlightenment what the very next verse begins to tell us when he simply says, for he did not know how to reply, for they became terrified. I think one guy wrote a book one time that said, did I really say that? It was a bust. In fear, he was responding. He didn't know what was happening. It's Peter. He wants to be a part. He wants to be involved. He's seeing things he doesn't understand. He's putting together the Old Testament. He's putting together the prophecy. He wants to know how the law fits in. He sees Moses. He's got Elijah. And here's Jesus. But now he's glimmering. And did they even really see it? In just a moment, I'll share with you a journey that's so important because here Peter wants to have a tabernacle built for Jesus Christ. Do you not miss the point of that? Do you not see how far off Peter really is? Because why would Jesus need a tabernacle when John tells us Jesus what? Is already tabernacled with us. He is the tabernacle of glory. He is the tent to celebrate the deliverance. He is the one that dwells amongst us. It's the exact same word that is used, skeneos. It's the word that is used for tabernacle or templing. And we know it from John when the word became flesh and what? 
tabernacled amongst us. That's the actual word that was used. It was the glory of God brought down to us. And here Peter wants to build him an earthly tent for a moment while he resides. Let's build a tent so God could come be with us. Do you not realize that in Jesus, God is with us? It's amazing that even in Revelation 21, we're told that the dwelling place of God is with men. Do you recognize this morning who Jesus really is? Have you got a glimpse of his glory? Have you looked beyond the humanity and seen the true triune God who's present here with you? He's come to tabernacle. He's come for a purpose and a reason. Verse 7 tells us it's because of this cloud, this presence of God. It's the course Jesus is always there. God's already there. He's not just in the cloud. Here's the confusing part of this. If God is there on the mountain and the cloud is there for him to speak out of, he's also there in human flesh. He's revealing his presence that's already been there. And the words that come that are so exciting, this is my son. But then he adds something very important to it. We'll get to that. What does he tell us to do? Listen. The actual word there for listen is ekute, which is the word for to hear. It's actually wanting you to hear what he says. Don't just, don't just listen to the words. Hear him. And actually take it to heart. It gives you that word. You've got to hear something. It's got to become important to your life. And it's this word of overshadowing. This word, episkosusa, it's a very fancy word that talks about overshadowing, and it's only ever used, now catch this, in the Old Testament, never again in the New Testament. And the cloud that overshadows these people is only used twice at the times in the Old Testament. You know when it was used? When the glory of God filled the Solomon Temple and overshadowed the temple and filled it with his glory. This is the same overshadowing that's taking place now in what we would call Mount Hermon, we think, where the disciples are up there with Jesus, and they tell him, the glory in the cloud has filled this place. It was no different than it went back to the temple, but it also happened, if you wish, when it filled the tabernacle in Exodus with Moses, when the glory of God filled the tabernacle. So the only times that we get this understanding from Mark is when God's revealing himself to his people. The transfiguration was not just a miraculous event to try to get us to see something different. It was a normal occasion in which God is again resuming his ability to communicate to us, to put it in terms that we should understand and recognize, to bring us to a presence in which we would listen to what it is he wants us to know. Akute ato. It's the Greek phrase, listen to him. Listen. Do you know it's the exact same phrase used with Moses when we were told that he would send us one that would reveal to us what we needed and we should what? Listen to him. And then all of a sudden, Listen to what? Listen to what he says. A cloud formed, overshadowed. This is my beloved son. Hear him. 
And suddenly they looked around. This is what's so amazing. What were they listening to? And let me just give you the answer to the story. What is it we're supposed to listen to? Just the words, this is my son? I think it goes on to tell you, Jesus is going to give us what it is we're to listen to. It's the fact that he's supposed to suffer, that the son of man must suffer, that Jesus has got to go to the cross. There's got to be a grave. He's going to be punished. He's going to be ridiculed and humiliated. This is the one that Peter keeps saying, no, I can't let this happen to you. No, we need a warrior king. We need someone who's going to save us in this world. And Jesus keeps saying, no, you don't understand. The Messiah is one who takes servanthood. The Messiah is one who's come to serve you. I'm here to help my people and to set them free spiritually. And just as the world hated Elijah, and they hated John the Baptist, which you'll see, so they'll hate me. And why you need to listen so clearly this morning is because Jesus' words come later as in through the Gospels when we realize if the world's going to hate Jesus, the world's also going to hate who? You. The transfiguration. A glimpse of the glory of God. The reassurance of all the law and the prophets and the coming of Elijah, the forerunner and the preparation of repentance in our hearts. The kingdom of God in its power comes when the Son of Man suffers. And if he suffers, you must suffer. Suffering is about discipleship and fellowship, not abandonment. When you find yourself going through trials in life and you're suffering for the sake of Christ, don't think to yourself, I'm doing so well. Why am I suffering, Lord? Why are you abandoning me? Why are you not helping me? You need to change your perspective and realize that the suffering is a sign of discipleship. It's a sign of fellowship alongside the one and only begotten, full of grace and truth. And if he's going to suffer, Why should you expect to not? And all of a sudden, the stories. When they hear those words at the baptism that revealed Jesus' sonship, they hear the same words on the mountain that now reveal the sonship to the disciples. It's an amazing story. If I could go on and on, I would give you some of the theological understanding of election and how God softens our heart and what foreknowledge does to us. But I don't have time for that today. But it's amazing because as Jesus is now revealing to the disciples who he is, they didn't get it on their own. They didn't come to that understanding because they were great learners. They didn't come to that understanding because they had followed the law long enough and listened to all the prophecies. They only understood because God gave them a glimpse of the glory of who he was. A true bit of teaching I need to give all of you for just a moment. To understand the nature of God is not accomplished on human understanding alone. Faith. Faith is always and only the assent to biblical truth, all truth, that's been revealed. We don't come up with the truth on our own. We don't come up with the truth as we grow. Faith is the ascent of understanding those truths that have been revealed. And the transfiguration has just revealed this one that you're all questioning, this one that you just don't understand, is my only begotten son. 
full of grace and truth, tabernacled in the flesh, and he must be humiliated before he'll be exalted. And you too. Before you will ever find an exalted Christian life, you too must know the way of the cross. To be humiliated. To know that your sins have taken you to the degradations and the depths of all places. Hell. To know that on your own works and your own abilities, you've accomplished nothing for the kingdom. Glory of God and all his grace on your own. You need to be able to say, I fall on my knees. I hide my face. And I tremble in the presence. Because I know what I deserve. And it's not until you can be humiliated in front of others. In a world that thinks men ought to be macho. You're going to have to be humiliated. To become a servant of all. And then he takes us on this one thing. It's an amazing word that's translated suddenly. Here when he tells us in verse 8, he simply says it this way. Suddenly they looked around. And that word that they has used there is an actually an opening up, a, a looking up as if they were hiding their faces. It's as if they were shadowed under things. Here becomes the truth of the story. Were they really just standing there looking at the glory of God? Or was it like every other instance that when the glory shone in that split second, it was so bright and they heard that light and they hid their faces. And then within a moment's time, they looked back up and looked around and they were all gone. Jesus alone. No law. No prophets. No more restoring. The focus is now on Jesus alone. And there will be no one else ever that can help you reach where you need to be other than him. All things gone, Jesus stands as the focus. He must go to the cross by himself. But he'll go alongside you as well. If you're going to journey as a disciple, you must be willing to suffer. Verse 9 and 10 tells us that. The story continues to unfold. He gave the orders, don't relate this to anybody don't relate all this stuff because you still don't understand it. You don't understand messiahship and sonship. You're trying to build me temples. You're trying to talk about future resurrections. You're trying to keep an Elijah that's already come in John the Baptist. We learned that in the other stories. You'll see in a moment. You guys still don't grasp this. You don't understand that the kingdom will come in its power only when you understand and see the resurrection. That's why he tells us the son of man must be rose from the dead. And they seized on that. Again, what's the importance of this? Silence them. Folks, after the resurrection, you'll understand it. Share it all you want after that. But right now, your enthusiasm is based on things that are a false understanding of who I truly am. And so Jesus tells them in verse 11 when he says this, they asked him and they said, well, what is this about Elijah that he must come? And Jesus says, he has. 
Elijah has come. Elijah has come as he references it in the other stories and makes it clear through Matthew and them that he came in John the Baptist. The task of Elijah, as we were told, was to come before Jesus, to turn the hearts of the people to repentance, to anoint the Messiah in his work so that the restoration could take place. And in one swoop, Jesus simply said, John the Baptist came before me, prepared the way and turned the hearts of the people toward me. And as a restorer would do all he could and would anoint him in the River Jordan at baptism. Moses is coming on. Elijah coming on. John the Baptist coming on. And every one of them were to put your focus on Jesus. And now God on the top of a mountain takes off the flesh, gives a glimpse of his glory. And says, this is what it means to be changed. The issue is, the change isn't just for the disciples to see. It's for us. Yes, we understand that the divine plan of God will be filled. Listen to the last part of the story. Verse 13, I say to you, Elijah has indeed come And they did to him whatever they wanted. And then highlight this in your Bible. They did it just as it was written. Do you know what Acts chapter 2 says? It said we crucified Christ. We crucified Christ. But we did it according to the divine plan. Yes, what we're looking at is a divine plan, human responsibility. You could call it murderous intentions of our hearts, yet all done in accordance with God's divine decree. A change that just took place, a transformation to see the truth. Paul writes the same thing for us. It wasn't just the story of Jesus' change. Oh, we won't be transfigured, but we will be changed. Paul even writes when he's summarizing the truth, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. Does the glimpse of God's glory change you? Do you realize that on the top of that mountain, Jesus just simply revealed to those who wanted to follow him, the only way to follow me is the way of the cross. It will lead to the same suffering that I will suffer, 
unto the same end that I will face. There will be no exaltation without humiliation. Do you still want to follow me? If so, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and let the glimpse of glory change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this testimony of Mark. Father, I'm convinced, I'm assured that your son, you in the flesh, died for me. And that your Holy Spirit, you have come to dwell in my heart, to reveal these truths, for I would have never known them on my own. Father, I pray that you'll continue to open the eyes of my heart, that you'll transform the ways of my life. You'll help me not to conform to the things of this world but that I will see the excitement of the way of the cross. That as you, the Holy One in flesh, must suffer, help me to accept that I too must suffer. And that I would consider it discipleship and fellowship with you. Forgive me of my sins, Father, and let the glimpse of this glory transform me. It's in his name I pray. Amen. And would stand with me. Let's sing our closing hymn. You'll see that together in your bulletin. All glory be to Christ.
Amen. If you would let me remind you, if you're staying for any fellowship at all, just come downstairs. You're welcome, whether you're visiting or not. We'd love to have fellowship with you if you're able to stay. But if you would, you'll see the benediction if you'd receive it. It simply says, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And all God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's Day.